Miller Chapel has long been holy ground for Princeton Seminary. It's wonderful to see you back in it. Welcome back home. Last fall, I was asked to present a lecture in Korea about the missionaries who came from Princeton Seminary to spend their lives in Korea at the beginning of the last century. I had a wonderful time with Ken Hanke, our archivist, uh, preparing for that uh, important presentation. I read journal after journal entry of these alums of our seminary who were describing their sense of call to go and spend their life on a foreign mission field. And over and over again, the sense of call came right where you're sitting in the pews of Miller Chapel. Maybe it happened when they were here for prayer on their own. Maybe it happened in the course of singing one of these hymns. We've always enjoyed singing hymns here. Uh, or maybe it came through um, years of silently listening to the Spirit speak as we gathered in worship time after time. If the walls here could speak, they would tell so many call stories that have occurred within these walls. Maybe they would tell yours as well. So again, Welcome home to a place where we attend to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Our scripture text is Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying. And he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias, come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard much from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before the Gentiles and the kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. 
So Ananias went and entered the house and laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who has appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, we've gathered here to place our lives in front of your word, asking that your spirit will do what you alone can do, which is to carry this word deep into the most protected corners of our hearts. We ask it in the name of the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Amen. In Acts chapter 8, verse 3, the previous passage, we're told that Saul was ravaging the church by entering home after home, dragging away both men and women, committing them to prison. This was Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus is a Gentile town. It's in Asia Minor. So Saul the Jew coped with his status as a religious minority by taking his faith very seriously. He eventually made it to Jerusalem where he studied under the eminent Jewish scholar Gamaliel. He became a Pharisee, a religious party who believed that most of Israel's problems were directly related to experimentation with non-Jewish influences. He got a job with the religious system. His job was to make sure nothing changed. Why do so many people want that job? <laughs> well, Saul thought that the biggest threat of his day was this new Jewish sect called the Way. These were people who were determined to continue following Jesus of Nazareth and to call him their Messiah, even though he had been crucified. But they kept claiming that he was risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. And this movement, this way, was growing like wildfire. After Pentecost, thousands of Jews had joined the way. And Saul was determined to put a stop to this. So he received papers to head up to Damascus where this thing had broken out big time. And so you know what happens on the road to Damascus. He is blinded by more light than he had ever seen. The voice from heaven says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? There was more to God than Saul knew. Notice that this is not a conversion story about a penitent sinner. Saul is not coming to Jesus to ask forgiveness of his sins. That, that comes later. This conversion isn't even Saul's idea. 
And this is one of the most important things for us to keep reminding ourselves about conversion. It typically comes as God's idea. And according to the scriptures, there's nobody that God likes to convert more than religious people. <laughs> people who have learned a lot of theology. People who are dedicated and committed and zealous and wrong. We're living in a time in our country which is as factionalized and divided as it has ever been, and maybe more so than in most times. We are constantly barraged with the language of us versus them. We keep hearing advice to look out for them. They are not like us. They don't belong here. They're to blame for our problems. But let the church remember that we started out as the them that religious leaders like Saul was worried about. That's our heritage. Saul was a Pharisee, which meant that his personal life was impeccable. He knew the biblical texts maybe better than we do before he got converted. But in spite of his perfect lifestyle and all that he knew, he was wrong. He was persecuting Jesus. It's not really a matter of what you know about God. It is about who you know. Do you know this God revealed in Jesus Christ who came dying to love not only us but also them? It's striking, isn't it, that that Saul was blinded by light. It was more light than, than he knew what to do with. It, it overhauled his, his whole life. Because whatever it is that you think about yourself, since you were made in the image of God, it's dependent on your image of God. If you have a false image of God, you have a false image of yourself. But in the words of John Calvin, all rise. All knowledge is, is knowledge of God and knowledge of self. So to discover something new of God is to overhaul your own life. And this is what happens to Saul. Blinded by light. Maybe this is why he, in his epistles, writes so much about this light that he has discovered of what it means to live in Christ, in Christ to have once been dead and our sins and trespasses, but to be made alive together in Christ. And in Christ, as he continues in that letter to the Ephesians, those who were far off have been brought near into the one dwelling house of God in which there are no dividing walls. We can keep, keep trying to erect these walls within the church that separate us from them, but they're not put there by Christ. And we can repent of these divisions anytime we are ready. And Christ has long been ready for the church to repent of its divisions. 
and of its own usage of us and them language. Are there sinners in a church like that? There are only sinners in a church like that. That's why we have church. Because he was blinded, they carried him back to Damascus where he waited in the darkness for three days. There it is again, these three days in the darkness, almost as if he's in a tomb, that which is separating a former life from a new one into which he is to be risen. When God has interrupted your life, have the courage to just stop for a while, to enter into a place of prayer. For prayer positions us humbly before God. And if you're going to be of use to Christ's mission, if you're going to be Christ's instrument, as Jesus said about Paul, humility is the gift you can best bring to Jesus. Well, meanwhile, Ananias, who was one of the disciples in uh, Damascus who was hiding out from fear of Saul, he gets a vision of his own. And the Lord Jesus also comes to Ananias and tells him to go to the street that is called Straight and to find there this Saul and to lay hands on him that he might regain his sight. And Ananias argues, oh Lord, this man has done much evil to your church in Jerusalem. And Jesus wins the argument, as is his nature, (laughs) and says, just go. And so we see another religious person getting converted. Saul the persecutor becomes converted into Paul the apostle. But Ananias is converted from his fear to hospitality. And in one of the early church's finest, finest moments, Ananias walks up to his tormentor and he holds out his hands and lays them on Saul's head and says to him on behalf of the whole church that was being persecuted, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. When Luke wrote down this story, the church was still being severely persecuted as it was off and on for the next 300 years, as it is in many places of the world still today. Whenever the church is persecuted, it has always overcome its tormentor by saying, Brother Saul. Not letting even the persecutor be them, but engaged with us, Brother Saul. Maybe there's somebody the Holy Spirit is calling you to say these words to. Someone who makes you afraid and want to hide. Someone who gives you arguments with Jesus. Maybe it's the person you came to reunion to get away from. (laughs) They're gonna be waiting for you when you go back. (laughs) 
Maybe it's somebody whose theology is different than yours. Maybe it's someone you blame for the problems in the church or in our society. What would it mean to reach out, to say to this person, I won't put up a dividing wall of hostility, not after what Christ has done, not after what I have seen. You are my sister. You are my brother. There's a good deal of anxiety today about the church's lack of influence in the current cultural discussions and debates. I don't know if Jesus really needs the church to be influential in the cultural debates. I think in the end that's really up to Jesus. I think we can just be faithful in the cultural debates. There's also a lot of anxiety about the divisions within the church and the decline of some branches of the church. And uh, I don't know that Jesus needs us to turn that around. The church has always belonged to Jesus. He's pulled it out of the ditch for the last 2,000 years. He can handle today. But here, here is what clearly we are called for. This is part of what faithfulness does mean. It means humbly acknowledging that there may be more to God than we know. It means pursuing more and more of Christ than we know. It means pulling down the dividing walls of hostility. It means witnessing to the love of Jesus Christ for them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.